2: From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Whether you went to theaters for the Women King, hosted a watch party for Fire Island, cried during Everything Everywhere all at once, or got caught up in the hype surrounding Doctor Strange... The fate of the multiverse depends on us. We want to hear about your year at the movies. And we'll get recommendations from a panel of film critics about what to watch during a little downtime, hopefully, over the holidays. Forum is next, after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever has been number one in theaters for several weekends. Have you seen it? What movies did you watch this year? Did you seek out films that had something to say about where we are now or films that let you escape? Here's what listener David said. uh, My nomination for uh, a movie for the year is uh, Amsterdam. The acting was very... Uh, Very good. All the actors were wonderful. The time period is interesting, and it's just a very well-done movie. You, too, can tell us what movie made your 2022 and why. Call 866-733-6786. Post it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at KQED Forum. And if you missed a lot of this year's releases and want to know what to watch from our panel of film critics... Let me tell you who they are. Dave Schilling is back with us, contributing writer for LA Times Image. Dave, welcome back to Forum. Thank
3: you, as always, for having me. It is a pleasure.
2: It's a pleasure. For us, too. Jackson Kim Murphy is associate news editor at Variety. Welcome to Forum, Jackson.
4: Howdy. Howdy. Thanks for having me. This should be fun.
2: Glad to have you. And Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. Glad to have you back, too. Oh, thanks so much for having me back. So, Kristen, kick us off. What was one of your favorite
5: films from this year? Oh, my gosh. It's hard to just pick one. There were a lot of movies I really liked this year, but I especially liked Emily the Criminal starring Aubrey Plaza as... A person who doesn't necessarily have a perfect track record, who has tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt, who is dealing with major economic hardship, and who decides to become a criminal. It is a movie that I think speaks to the times right now with a lot of us feeling economic hardship, where the divide between rich and poor is just growing greater, more vast, And to cheer for somebody who is, you know, maybe trying to screw the system a little bit, maybe trying to get ahead, even if it's not in the quote unquote right way. Uh, I had a great time watching this. It is compact, it is snappy, and I was cheering for her the whole time.
2: (laughs) When you say compact, you mean not too long. (laughs)
5: Yes, because that's one of the trends I have absolutely abhorred in recent years, especially 2022. Too many movies were over two and a half hours long, and we don't need that. We we have only so much time in the day, right? Do we really need a two-hour yes. and 41-minute movie? I'm talking to you, Black Panther. We don't need our movies
2: that long. We don't. <laughs> uh, Jackson, can you share one of your favorites?
4: Yeah. Uh, it feels silly to shout it out, but uh, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans was one of my favorite films this year. Uh, another heater from one of our best. Um, <laughs> I was always uh, really excited for it. I consider myself like a huge fan and an acolyte, uh, but it even see- exceeded my high expectations of it. It's his semi-autobiographical, largely autobiographical film about his adolescence and growing up. Uh, about his parents' gradual divorce, about his family falling apart, and about his love of movies. Mm. Um, Like a lot of my favorite Spielberg films, there's a sort of sickness at the center of it. He needs to make movies. He needs to put a camera in between himself and the world. Um, But it's also this film about, like, this very natural talent that for him, like he needs, like he loves making movies and how that can complicate your relationships with your family, how that can deepen your bond with those around you and they can support you and how, as they support you, those, the people that they lo- that love you can like lose you even more as you go and become your own person. Um, I found it really tremendously moving. It's super sweeping. It is a hair over two and a half hours long, <laughs> but I do think it earns it. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I I think you said it was like one of the best of Spielberg's movies, which that would be saying a lot, right?
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, this guy made Jaws. He makes a lot (laughs) of good movies. Um, But I do think it's one of his best. It is the movie that he sort of danced around making his entire career. There's a lot of broken households and absentee fathers and single mothers throughout his filmography, uh, drawing from his own adolescence and, this is the film that he's finally grown in, like he's grown into the filmmaker that he was going to be to make this movie. Uh, It's taken a really long time, but I'm glad he finally told the story that he really wanted to tell.
2: Wow, okay. Uh, Dave, one of your top films of the year. Oh boy, so uh,
3: I think a lot of people agree with me that it's nice for a movie to surprise you every once in a while, not to like break the format too much of what uh, what makes a great movie, but at least uh, a moment or two where you're genuinely shocked that um, the movie has taken a left turn. And the movie that does that the most effectively this year is Barbarian, which is a small horror movie that um, kind of didn't really seem like it was going to be a whole heck of a lot. Uh, The trailers uh, make it seem like this is a movie about um, a, uh, an Airbnb mix up where two people are double booked for an Airbnb And something sinister is going to happen. And that's it. The trailers were very um, respectful of the twist of the movie. And not every movie needs a twist, but movies need to surprise you. They need to to shake you out of your comfort zone and make you sit up and pay attention. And Barbarian does that about 40 minutes in. It becomes a totally different movie. (laughs) And that is just so exciting to see, to see it done well. Because this is hard. When you when you go to film school like I did, they tell you to follow the structure, the three act structure and certain things need to happen in certain places in a screenplay, in a movie. And this film excuse all of that to say, we're going to take you on a journey on a ride and you're going to have to reorient yourself halfway through the movie and meet brand new characters. Um, I won't say any more than that because we were told very specifically by you. (laughs) No spoilers. Um, (laughs) Please see this movie. I think a lot of people did. It was very successful. For the studio um, because of how cheap it was but it wasn't a mega super blockbuster like a Marvel movie so there are still people out there I'm sure who haven't seen it yet go find it wherever it is streaming I think it's on HBO Max Um, so check it out I I could be wrong if I'm wrong please (laughs) don't don't send me a dirty uh, tweet about how (laughs) it's actually on uh, Amazon Prime I don't know actually
2: No dirty, no dirty tweets, but thank you for telling us how we can watch it because that's always helpful. And so if that's something that listeners as you share with us, the films that you enjoyed in 2022, and it may not be as obvious how you can see it, please tell us that too. Uh, This listener writes the worst movie, The Woman King, Too Cheesy, Hollywood and So Unbelievable, The Best, Everything Everywhere All the Time. Maybe they meant to say all at once. Unless there's a movie, I'm not aware. So original, funny, creative, great cast, and meaningful. Runner-up, Black Panther. Such amazing costuming, well-developed story, and exciting. Well, thank you, listener, for those recommendations. Thank you, listener Dave, for telling us how much you appreciated the acting in the movie Amsterdam. Which makes me want to ask, Kristen, what was a standout performance from this year? A film uh, where you really appreciated the acting. Oh, my
5: gosh. Well, I mean... Uh, I, I have to say that one of the movies I really loved the acting in was Pearl, starring mm-hmm. Mia Goth. She stars as somebody who, during the 1918 flu, and it's uh, you know very much parallel to what's happening in the world with our current pandemic. Uh, she's feeling isolated. She is alone in a rural area. She doesn't have a lot of contact with people outside of her own family, and. Mia Goth is pretty much in every single scene in this movie. She carries the whole thing and you see how she is unraveling in this movie. You see that she's grasping at straws. She's dreaming of bigger, better things. She's losing herself in the fantasy of maybe becoming a movie star. And the way the movie is filmed is so magical. It is so uh, delightful. It has such a colorful, vibrant uh, aesthetic and yet what's happening inside of her is so dark and she re- reveals her you know inner workings in some of the most surprising ways there is one scene where the camera is fixed on her and she just talks for like 2 minutes straight and the camera doesn't move and uh the closing of the movie this isn't a spoiler this is just speaking to her great acting features her just staring at the camera for 2 minutes straight oh and How many actors have we seen do these kinds of things? Mia Goth really pushes the boundaries of what an actor can do with her face and her body in this movie. And like I said, that juxtaposition between the candy colored world, the vibrant art direction, and what is happening with her internally is just, it's a feat. She's fantastic in this
2: movie. (laughs) Nice. Well, Jackson, is there a performance that you found really memorable, whether or not you love the movie they were in? Um,
4: yes, and, and this one's also a silly one to shout out, uh, but it's stuck with me since I watched it back when it released on streaming in February, March or something like that. Uh, it's Ben Affleck in Deep Water. Uh, Deep Water is the newest thriller from Adrian Lyne, who made like Fatal Attraction, the master of these 80s, 90s trash thrillers. Uh, ben Affleck is married to Anna de in the movie, and anna D'Armas, Anna Armas' character keeps taking on new suitors. And they keep mysteriously dying. Uh, And people suspect Ben Affleck is killing these people, but there's no exact proof. Uh, Ben Affleck is really, really funny in the movie. I think it's a good evolution of his performance in Gone Girl, which was sort of, oh, did this guy kill his wife? I bet this guy killed his wife performance. He seems like kind of a jerk. Uh, And he's kind of a jerk in this movie, too. Uh, He will just throw around these empty threats towards these other men uh he'll sort of like tease them and taunt them and be like oh maybe I will kill you maybe I won't you don't know ha 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 <laughs> uh but he's really in on the joke uh he is very physically imposing uh which is also very funny in the movie uh it's just it's a great it's a full understanding of what his star persona is and it's just such a treat to see him in an adult thriller like this uh and he's Everyone on that movie is on exactly the same page, in my opinion, which is not uh, what the critical consensus was around it. But I had a great time with it and with its performance.
2: Why did you think it was silly to shout this out? Because it was Affleck or or because he's so big?
4: <laughs> no. Uh, well, w- well, one, I just think that Affleck's silly. But one, the movie uh, <laughs> was not... Uh, praised at all it was very much largely Uh, dismissed as ridiculous preposterous at the time it came out it was dancing around a theatrical release throughout the pandemic and eventually they just decided "Ah, let's just dump this on hulu i think um which is cool uh because i watched it at home with my friends and had a great time with it But I feel like it's still in that regard. But it's just one of those performances that I kept watching movies throughout the year. I kept watching performances. And that one just kept staying at the top of the shelf for me for some reason.
2: Interesting. Jackson Kim Murphy, Associate News Editor for Variety. Dave Schilling, Contributing Writer at LA Times Image. Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. They are our panel of film critics and we also want to hear from you listeners what movies affected you in 2022 tell us after the break you're listening to forum
0: i'm mina kim support for forum comes from san francisco opera
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. What is that? I got bored one day when I put everything on a bagel.
5: Everything. All my hopes and dreams, my old report cards, every breed of dog, every last personal ad on
2: Craigslist. Sesame. Poppy seed. Salt. That's a clip from everything, everywhere, all at once. A film that made waves in 2022. And that's what we're talking about this hour, the films of 2022 that you'll remember and why. You can tell us at 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at kqed forum tell us why you loved it but don't spoil them for those of us who have not seen it yet Kristen meinzer is co-host of the podcast movie therapy with rafer and Kristen. dave schilling is contributing writer for la times image jackson kim murphy is associate news editor at variety telling us their picks for movies that you should not miss if you did not get to see a lot of movies in 2022 also some great performances dave i didn't get to ask you before the break what performances you liked
3: but I'll keep it tight because I know Kristen likes uh, shorter things. Uh, so I'll keep my response <laughs> short. Um, I loved Kate Blanchett in Tar. I think most people would agree. She's probably the mm-hmm. front runner to win the, the Best Actress Oscar this year. Um, just really wonderful character study kind of work. Very subtle when it has to be. Very big when it has to be. Uh, I go back to Barbarian. I love Justin Long in that movie. I think he was... Uh, it had to be a perfect performance. As I said, there is a point in the movie where it pivots to become something completely different for a little bit. And if you don't like, or at least enjoy watching Justin Long's character in that film, uh, the movie falls apart. So he really had to carry um, a, a heavy load when this transition happens in the movie. And he's just really entertaining um, from start to finish in that role. It's very complicated. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's it. Uh, I, I oh, also Greta Gerwig in, in White Noise. A lot of people haven't seen this yet because it's not out on Netflix, but it came out in, in New York and L.A. for, I think, a couple weeks. And I saw it and she's remarkable. She does so much with a, a largely mute performance uh, up until uh, a big kind of monologue at the end that she nails. And she really embodies the characters that I imagined from the book. She is that character and she does a great job.
2: Mm, looking forward to white noise. Well, this listener writes, the outfit was really great. It kept the story moving and left the audience in the dark just enough to create a truly suspenseful mystery. Andy writes, I know it was considered a flop, but I really enjoyed The North Man by Robert Eggers, a nearly flawless epic film. Can your guests offer an opinion on why it didn't connect with audiences? Anybody want to weigh in on whether they think the Northman should have gotten more than it did in terms of... Yeah, go ahead, Kristen. Yeah, I,
5: I think that there were some issues with the Northman, beginning with the movie posters. I don't know if you remember the fiasco, but they forgot to put the title on the movie posters when they were advertising the movie. So uh, it was a little confusing. Like, wh- what is this advertising? It, is it a mail-order product for... Um, you know, uh, fashion from the dark ages? Is this a makeup brand or like, it it was just very confusing. Is this for a TV show? So I think the advertising campaign was part of the problem, unfortunately, but also, um, I, I was not a huge fan of the movie myself. And I think it's a movie that just took itself so seriously. It's very dark. It's very male, uh, male centric, male perspective. Um, and uh, male rage, uh, male anger at fathers, but there was zero levity. It's a very dark movie, visually as well as psychologically. And I, I just I don't know if a movie that is that epic, that dark, that long, that confusing in its ad campaign is going to appeal to people right now at this point in history.
2: Mm. Well, it's a good category to think about films that didn't get their due. In your opinions, guests. So, so Dave, what is a smaller movie, or it didn't need to be a smaller movie necessarily, but a film that you thought was underrated?
3: I really love Confess Fletch, starring John Hamm. It's a uh, an adaptation of and a reboot of the Fletch uh, novel series. I'm sure people are familiar with the Chevy Chase movie Fletch from the 80s. Yep. This is very much not that. Um, <laughs> that was a Chevy Chase vehicle that had a lot of kind of wacky disguises and makeup effects and things that, that he did in that film. Uh, it was closer, I think, to a Pink Panther movie in terms of slapstick and absurdity. Um, whereas this new version of Fletch uh, is, is much closer to the novel uh, in terms of the tone uh, and the way that the comedy is portrayed. It's not quite as over-the-top uh, or silly, it's more about wordplay and kind of the wittiness of these characters, particularly John Hamm as Fletch. And I, I don't think anyone has ever really figured out what to do with John Hamm in a movie. <laughs> obviously, he's a he's an amazing actor and is so great in Mad Men, but he he obviously wants to be a comedic actor. He's very good at it, and this is the first time he's a, he's been able to use his sort of deadpan sense of humor, which I think he used very well as as Don Draper in a feature film leading man performance. And unfortunately, uh, Miramax kind of dumped this movie into theaters um, a few months ago and then threw it on uh, VOD. Now it's on Showtime, I believe. Um, It's much better than the reputation I think it got because it was dumped. But here's the thing. And I wanted to say this about The Northman, but I think it's true of, of any movie that flops. It's because you really have to encourage people to go to the theater. You have to give them a reason to go to a movie theater and say, this is a spectacle. This is uh, a conversation that people are going to be having about this movie. You need to see it as soon as possible. Um, there's something special. There's something you're getting out of it. If it's a Marvel movie with big budget special effects uh, or, you know, tie-ins to other movies that you, so you have to see it to understand the next one or the one before that, uh, there's a reason to go to the theater and see it as soon as possible. There's no reason to go see Confess Fletch in a theater. You might as well wait till it's on Showtime or it's on Amazon Prime or whatever. You might as well wait for the Northmen to show up on streaming because it doesn't say you have to go see it. It doesn't have the buzz around it. It uh, doesn't have the 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 value proposition that says I'm gonna spend twenty dollars plus parking plus food to see it. Avatar two maybe people will say that because it's a, it's a three D spectacle. So it's just you know, unfortunately small movies don't really have the the reason for being in the theater right now.
2: It's a good point. What do you think, Jackson? I think you also liked Confess Fletch and thought it you know it should have deserved a little bit more attention than it got.
4: No, Confess Confess Fletch rocks. Um, it's I mean, just a great ensemble. Everyone's no perfect in it. Uh very funny in an un uh cartoonish way. Everyone's just it it it, it is very it has very concise characterizations. But uh I mean I agree with Dave. Uh, confess Fletch is funnily the only movie I have seen twice this year and I probably wouldn't have done that uh, if it wasn't available on home video immediately. (laughs) Um, I really like, I just, usually I'm just like one and done and take my ball and go home with the movie after I watch it. But uh, (laughs) a friend came over the next day and I was like, Confessed Flesh was really good. He said, Oh, okay, let's watch it. And then I just flipped it back on again two days later.
6: Um,
4: Yeah. It's terrific. But I, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think a movie needs to be more of an event, uh, the, it needs to be perceived as that sort of thing these days in order to get people out to a theater
2: was there anything else besides confess fletch that you really enjoy that maybe didn't do great at the box office or get to the box office
4: <laughs> i was uh well this one did get to the box office and then it didn't do super well uh actually i mean super well is putting it uh politely uh it's michael bay's ambulance also from the spring and another movie that i watched early in the year and then as i watch more stuff just continue to stay around in those upper echelons um i've always been a mild defender of michael bay i've always liked his craft um and but this is the first movie i've seen where i actually really cared about the characters in the movie and cared what was going to happen to them which you know, is a stunning turn for him honestly um it has the premise of two brother bank robbers hijack an ambulance to escape the robbery, and they're just in an ambulance, the whole movie with this uh, with the with the medical worker also in the ambulance. And it's a premise where you think, I don't know how they're going to sustain that for two, like a little over two hours, and then somehow it does. It's this great Los Angeles panorama. It keeps picking up new characters on the law enforcement side or on street crime. Uh, Just these new colorful people that like really makes the whole painting of the city uh, elaborate and delightful. Um, It's really, really, really good, Uh, yeah.
2: Well both you and Dave brought up spectacle films and it felt like Dave there were a lot of them this year or maybe it just always feels like that with spectacle films but was there one that you really enjoyed like one that you think was worth is worth seeing if people missed it
3: like like a an expensive action movie yeah oh boy i don't know um <laughs> it is that is a tough thing to ask me, because I do feel like this was maybe one of the worst years for blockbusters. Um, I don't really feel like there was anything that that wowed me that was expensive. I feel like this was such a great year for smaller movies. Um, nope was probably the best example of a blockbuster. And it's interesting to to, to call it that because it is a personal movie from a director who made his name, Jordan Peele, made his name uh, making movies about very esoteric problems. Mm. Um, Problems that, you know, I have or he has, but, you know, people that aren't Black in America maybe don't feel those same things, but he makes universal movies that are also deeply personal. And those are the things that I get excited about. I don't really get excited to see the latest Marvel movie anymore and that's too bad because there was a time when they were very exciting to watch uh the early days of Iron Man and um, Captain America Incredible Hulk like these were movies that were kind of off-center and strange but if I'm going to go see a DC movie like Black Adam for instance which I thought was truly truly unwatchable um you know I'm, I'm not going to get that same feeling of The the idiosyncratic it now feels like product and and there are a lot of those movies that are coming out in in the last this year last year that really lack that that strangeness uh, that I you know Moonfall is here here's an example of a movie that's absurd that feels like it could only be made by Roland Emmerich is Moonfall let's have some more Moonfalls and fewer Black Panther uh, Wakanda Forevers please.
2: Well, Gabriel writes, the worst movie of 2022 was Amsterdam. So uh, disagreed with our uh, listener who called in ahead of the show. Gabriel writes, I can't. Why didn't anyone warn me? It seemed as if every character was in their own separate awful film. The dialogue was so inane and contrived and poorly delivered. I laughed at almost every line. I think the studio should be subject to a class action lawsuit to recover the money and time everyone spent to be subjected to this atrocity. Wow, Gabriel, tell us how you really feel. But I earlier, Kristen, you were making the point that we only have so much time to watch films. So do you have one that you would say we can afford to miss?
5: Oh, my God. <laughs> that well, was like I a agree. Big one? Yeah. Amsterdam. Yes, I'm 100% on board with that listener. Amsterdam, it just seemed like it was never ending on top of the each of the actors feeling like they're each in a different terrible movie. Uh, On top of the fact that I could not figure out for the life of me, what the plot of the movie was. I, I hated Amsterdam. It was definitely one of the worst movies of the year, hands down. Absolutely. Um, uh, So yes, I would say you can absolutely afford to miss that one. You can afford to miss the spectacle of bullet train, which also felt overly long. And, Uh, relying very heavily on a lot of razzle-dazzle and art direction, but not necessarily on story. Um, If you do want to invest in a longer movie, a couple I would say are worth it are Triangle of Sadness. Triangle Mm. of Sadness is about two and a half hours. uh, Tapping into, again, that divide between rich and poor, uh, some class rage happening in this movie, some... um, People who are on a yacht, a luxury yacht, who, you know, may or may not uh, deal with some comeuppance with, you know, what happens when the upstairs and the downstairs confront each other over certain differences and so on. So Triangle of Sadness, it is uh, gross. It is funny. It is surprising. And it is well over two hours long. Everything, everywhere, all at once, which has already come up a couple of times in today's show, is also, in my opinion a little bit too long, but there is heart there. There is spectacle. Michelle Yeoh is just fantastic in it. It has to do with regrets. What could have been? What if my life was different? What if I didn't work You know, in, in this laundromat? What if my life was more spectacular? Um, but it's a beautiful story of maybe letting go of those what ifs and embracing what we have and the tiny little moments in life that make things magical in their own way. Tiny I, little insignificant things that maybe don't seem worthy of a blockbuster, but really are in this movie.
2: Yes. Well, I'm kind of sensing a little bit of a theme, Kristen, in the films that you liked with regard to class tensions, or maybe some class oh, yes. resentment as part <laughs> of all of that. Uh, but we've got also some callers waiting. Let me go to Michael in Walnut Creek. Hi, Michael. You're on. Oh, Hello.
1: Hello. Uh, no, yes, I just wanted to weigh in on the Norseman. To be the Norseman, um, I think that the reason that it, was, that it underwhelmed a lot of people was that it was expected to be some sort of, you know, silly, fun, Conan-type movie. I know that's why a lot of people who saw it disliked it, and not something that was actually trying to recreate the atmosphere of the Icelandic sagas, like uh, Gunnlaugsen's In the Shadow of the Raven, which, uh, the, you know, I think was I think the Northman was the equal of In the Shadow of the Raven, and it's nice to see it done with a really nice budget. Um, and I also thought it was hilarious just because you know having people you know speak in that Icelandic epic fashion. Uh, Father, I will avenge you. Mother, I will save you. For I will kill you. I will cut the thread of my fate. I mean, to, to me, that stuff is, is just golden. So I, yeah, I would have seen it in a theater had I had I known it was uh, it was so good.
2: Whoa! All right, Michael, well, appreciate that, um, and thanks for calling in. Let me go to Jordan in Berkeley. Hi, Jordan. Hey there. How are you? Well, what would you like to say? I would just love to give a plug to Top Gun
1: Maverick. I <laughs> saw it ten times. Wow! And. I saw it five times with D-Box in the theater, which I thought was going to be really silly, which turned out to be amazing. But I just feel like it was a great character-driven movie. It wasn't based on CGI effects. It was real flying. There wasn't a lot of blood and guts. And there was an actual relationship in there with people who were not in their teens and not in their 20s that was actually kind of character-driven. And it was great. And I would say House of Gucci for Best Unintentional Comedy and Drive My Car for Best Drama.
2: All right, Jordan. Well, thanks for those recommendations. And I know you are not alone in the way that people love Top Gun, especially for also the whole nostalgia piece of that. We're getting a lot of recommendations online. Let me go to Judd's comment. Judd writes, God's country. With an amazing, provocative performance by Tandy Newton, the film and Newton's performance should be up for an award. She plays a retired New Orleans cop who left the city post-Katrina, moving to remote Montana with her mother. Soon thereafter, a culture clash with locals slowly escalates into violent confrontations. Newton carries the film. Jason tweets, Marcel the shell with shoes on made me laugh and cry. All the emotions, another listener writes, Bros was a very well-made and well-written film. Silly, funny, sexy, and very underrated. All right, listeners, if you want to share your favorite movie from 2022 and why you can by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting it on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at kqedforum, calling us 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. If there's one that you think we can miss, you can also tell us that too. But you can also tell us if there's a movie recommended you are looking for a type of movie uh, that you'd like to see i'm sure our panel can tell you stay with us more after the break
0: support for forum comes from san francisco opera
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
0: I did not have an easy life. Is I I want to be with the others. I want to fight for my king.
1: Your tears mean nothing. To be a warrior, you must kill your tears.
2: Oh, that was from The Woman King, which came up a couple times earlier in the show as a movie of 2022, whether one they enjoyed or one they did not. We're also talking with Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen, Dave Schilling, contributing writer for LA Times Image, and Jackson Kim Murphy, associate news editor for Variety, about the films that they'll remember from 2022 and why. Of course, you can always share yours, listeners, by posting on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at KQED Forum, by emailing forum at kqed.org, or by calling 866-733-6786. A listener writes... Don't Worry, Darling was unwatchable. What do your guests think? Did you see this, Jackson Kim Murphy?
4: I did see Don't Worry, Darling. I saw it, I believe, in the way it was meant to be seen at a opening night screening at The Grove here in Los Angeles. Packed house. Uh, Half the crowd was there, I think, to guffaw at Harry Styles, and the (laughs) other half of the crowd was there to giggle because Harry Styles was in a movie. Um, so it was a really, really lively crowd. I don't think it's a very successful movie. Um, but at the same time, I do appreciate uh, there's, you know, there are all these behind the scenes. Uh, news and rumors, of scandals uh, on the production of that film yes. and the Lucky Lou aspect of it uh, lent itself to a really charged theater experience that even though I didn't love the movie, I do treasure that experience that I had that day.
2: Oh, yeah, that's a good, good way to think about it. Kristen, did you want to jump in? Sounded like it.
5: Yeah, I, I actually um, don't think the movie is terrible. I think it got raked over the coals partly because of a lot of the drama that was happening behind the scenes. You know, Olivia Wilde dating Harry Styles. Is it inappropriate for an older director to, you know, uh, start dating their younger uh, actor in the movie? Uh, The drama that supposedly was happening between her and Florence Pugh, people being fired from the movie, people spitting on each other at various press events, yada, yada, yada. There was so much drama that was supposedly happening around this movie. And I think that that was unfortunate because... The movie itself is not terrible. In some ways, um, I I think if you go into it thinking, like, let's just accept this as a fun summer movie with great costumes, with... You know, delightful mid-century furniture everywhere. Uh, if we don't take it too seriously and see what it's trying to get at, I think we can have fun watching uh the movie. I'm not saying it's perfect by any means, but I'm just saying I think because of all of the hullabaloo around it, I went in with the lowest of expectations. and um expecting a zero was delighted
2: when I came out thinking, oh, this was a six. I think it's not terrible. Isn't necessarily the biggest endorsement, but I appreciate <laughs> what you said, Chris. And let me go to Spencer in Santa Clara. Hi, Spencer. Hi,
6: Spencer. You're uh, on. Glad to
1: get on. On the glad to get on the radio. Um, I loved uh, the Banshees uh, at Inishearn. Did you already talk about that? Or I don't I think
2: it? we did. Wait, did you talk about that, Dave Schilling? Well, first, Spencer, what did you like about it?
1: Well, I loved it because it was very Irish, very um, very uh, dark, uh, but funny. The dark humor. Two characters, one older man and the, uh, one younger man. Uh, the older man decides that he doesn't want to uh, be friends with the younger man anymore. And oh, the younger yes. man keeps
2: yes. mm-hmm.
3: pursuing him. And I won't tell you anymore because it would be a spoiler.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Spencer. Uh, Dave, I feel like I saw it on your <laughs> list.
3: It is on my list. I loved it. I thought um, it was a real return to form for Martin McDonough, who took a lot of criticism for Three Billboards, uh, which is a movie that I didn't hate as much as most people did. I would say it's a six uh, on the uh, the, the Don't Worry, Darling scale to that movie. (laughs) But um, this one was just, it was a really interesting portrait of both an intimate relationship between two male friends and a commentary on conflicts be they local or global and why we hate and how we um escalate conflicts unnecessarily um the way in which people create and um facilitate grudges and why it's important to let things go Mm. and these are two characters who don't know how to let it go and uh, that is contrasted with the civil war in ireland And um, I'm a sucker for any time you can take a personal story and then have it kind of mirror a bigger, wider conflict. Um, And it's just, you know, as we say, the cliche, It was really, really well acted. It was the the great performances from from Colin Farrell um, in this movie. And uh, Brendan Gleason is wonderful. Um, Just just a great small movie that. By the way, I didn't know it was a period piece until the first, like, five minutes. (laughs) I just assume Irish people all dress like that all the time. (laughs) But no, this is set in the 1900s, so (laughs) disabuse yourself of the notion that you'll see an iPhone in this movie.
2: Uh, Well, this listener writes, I've been to a lot of preview screenings. Spoiler alert was amazing, and so was Babylon, but Emma Thompson's performance in Good Luck to You, Leo Grande was very real. Another listener, Rudy tweets, my fave sci-fi film of 2022, Nope, by Jordan Peele, horror film, Barbarian by Zach Krieger, Krieger, uh, comic sketch writer and comedic actor. Wow, already two of the ones that you mentioned, Dave, there. I wonder if this documentary film that Rudy has is also one you like. Meet Me in the Bathroom by Will Lovelace about the New York City music scene. Of the later nineties and early two thousands, did you? This see guy that? has
3: great taste. <laughs> this is gr- this this person is either me and I'm disassociating, or it's a, a family member. Um, <laughs> meet me in the bathroom. I have not seen yet, but I'm very excited about it because that was the music scene that I kind of grew up uh, with, and that was the music I was listening to. Is that early two thousands um, garage rock revival? The Strokes, Interpol, yeah, 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 all of that stuff, and it's it's from what I've been told, a very, very well done portrayal of that moment in time.
2: Well, a listener writes, why are we talking only American movies? The Swimmers is in English is a great movie, uplifting a commentary on the human condition. The Swimmers, it's actually in my queue. I'm Excited to see that one. Guillermo writes, My favorite film of the year is actually a Mexican one. My friend is a filmmaker and worked on a project called Cuando Cae La Noche. It deals with aging and the role of single men in that stage of life and how those stereotypes and roles evolve in that phase of solitude. We're getting pretty close to the end of the hour. I'm wondering if there are any. Films that you are excited to watch, upcoming movies. One of the uh, listeners mentioned that they've been to see a lot of previews. Jackson, is there one that uh, you are looking forward to and haven't seen yet?
4: From this year or for next year?
2: That's coming up. It can be later this year or next
6: year.
4: Mm, uh, Next year, I believe, launching appropriately around Valentine's Day is, of course, Magic Mike's Last Dance. Uh, the third and ostensibly final entry in the mail stripping saga. Um, Steven Soderbergh, uh, one of my favorite filmmakers, he's back at the helm and he's back in theaters after making a ton of streaming movies over the years. Um, I'm just really excited to see what brought him and Shanning Tatum back together for one more of these and why they won't feel the need to give this character a proper send-off. Soderbergh has described the film as a sort of all that jazz-esque uh, drama which sounds insane to me. And there are reports that it ends with a 30 minute dance sequence, which will be incredible because uh, it's 30 minutes long. And oh it's, God. yeah.
2: <laughs> what about Avatar? Are you looking forward to Avatar?
4: Oh, yes. Uh, so, like, I am looking forward to Avatar. I can say I was at the Avatar screening here uh. in Los Angeles last night, actually. So, I'm no longer looking forward to it. <laughs> and I'm not sure. I don't want to like break embargo rules. I know the social embargo is up, but the review embargo is not. So to be safe, I will just say my social reaction was it's really cool.
2: All right. All right. (laughs) Kristen, what about you? Thanks for a very revealing social Uh, (laughs) upcoming movie.
5: Well, I'll tell you one movie I am not looking forward to is the Avatar movie. I hated the first one (laughs) so much, and I absolutely have zero interest in seeing the second one. The first one just felt like torture to me. The Uncanny Valley uh, animation, the terrible storyline, again, overly long. I am looking forward to avoiding that movie. But I am looking forward to seeing something that just came out that is – going to be very light, very funny, and very violent if uh, the trailers are telling the truth. And that is Violent Night, not Silent Night, Mm. Violent Night, which is the story of Santa being called in to help a family after a violent break-in during the Christmas season. And Santa does not hold back. He's got lots of coal to administer and lots of violence. And to me, it just looks hilarious. I, I've always loved Christmas movies. I like any chance to change what a Christmas movie can be, whether it's, you know, uh, Die Hard or, um, you know, any other movie that just tries to shake up what the genre is. Spirited this year tried to do
2: that. So um, I'm looking forward to Violent Night. <laughs> Violent Night. You know, Kristen, I, if I remember correctly, you are good on the holiday movies. But I'm also just curious – is there a holiday movie you always watch
5: at oh, this time of so year?
2: Regardless of what year it came out? Like it didn't have didn't have to come out yes. in twenty twenty two.
5: Yes. Um I do make a habit of from the day after Halloween to the twelfth day of Christmas of watching one Christmas movie a day for that entire oh, time. Wow. Okay. So I, I I love Christmas movies, but certain ones I watch over and over again. It's a Wonderful Life, of course, Miracle on 34th Street. Um, but a couple of lesser known ones that I return to over and over again are The Mistletones, starring Tia Mowry and as the villain in the movie, uh, Tori Spelling. And it is a choral smackdown during the holiday season. It is hilarious and Uh, You know, with a cast like that, what's not to love? And I also love Christmas in Connecticut, starring Barbara Stanwyck as an intrepid journalist who's constantly put on the beat to write about home economics, about cooking, about housekeeping, about stuff she has no interest or knowledge in, and uh, about how she is kind of forced to... Uh, be put on the spot with her expertise in those areas that expertise she does not have, and wackiness ensues. I love, I don't love any female journalist just doing things her own way, especially mm. during Christmas time. So that one's a classic for me.
2: Speaking of female journalists, Mary Lou writes, She Said was a powerful, gripping expose of our times, well-acted and fascinating insight into how journalists doggedly pursue these stories. It filled me with pride and admiration for their work. I do remember interviewing both of those journalists on Forum and uh, looking forward to seeing She Said. We're talking with Kristen Meinzer. Uh, co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. Also Dave Schilling, contributing writer for LA Times Image and Jackson Kim Murphy, associate news editor for Variety. We're talking, you guessed it, about the films of 2022. It is December after all and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Jackson, is there a holiday movie you rewatch? I
4: honestly don't I'm not the one with agency of the movie watching when I go home for the holidays, <laughs> um, so I don't really have the uh, my own picks, but each year my mom does always run a marathon of Bridget Jones' Diary, The Holiday, and Love Actually, oh, uh, movies weird. that I've now probably not seen front to back in quite a few years, but you know, I'll, I'll mill in and out of the living room and I'll see them all going, uh, I hate Love Actually. <laughs> Uh, I'm moderate on Bridget Jones diary and the holiday is essentially a high masterpiece of insane people. Um, but I look forward to returning home within the next few weeks and running all
3: three back later this
4: Aww. year.
2: Well, your mom's taste is very consistent. Uh, what about you, Dave, <laughs> a holiday movie you rewatch?
3: Oh boy. I mean, the holidays are definitely a time for movie going for me and, and for watching movies at home. Cause you spend a lot of time on the couch as I'm sure we all do. Um, The only holiday movie that I watch regularly is Scrooged with Bill Murray. Um, It's a it's a retelling of uh, A Christmas Carol, but in a contemporary 80s setting, Um, Scrooge is not called Scrooge and now he's a a TV executive. So it's kind of a TV satire in addition to being a retelling of A Christmas Carol. But what I do uh, with my tradition on the holidays is to watch James Bond movies. These are not Christmas films or holiday films in any way except for I guess The World Is Not Enough because um one of the characters names uh, name is is Christmas Jones but for the most part I watched these these movies because they they were on TV. They were there were marathons of James Bond movies on TBS every year during Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, those those holidays and and I just got used to that idea of turning these kind of big silly spectacles on and doing things around the house or eating and, and watching these things that don't demand a lot of attention, but are constantly bombarding you with imagery and jokes and, and action set pieces and that kind of thing. So I recommend everybody watch a, an old James Bond movie like Moonraker or something All
1: when right. they have
2: a change. Bond for the holidays. The listener writes, by far Elvis is my favorite of the year, and I can't wait to see Austin Butler in new movies. Christian Bale is fantastic, and the historic rise of fascism in the U.S. is bone-chilling in Amsterdam. Wow, a lot of range of opinions on Amsterdam from listeners and our guests today. Another listener writes, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, was absolutely lovely, hopeful, stylish, and a celebration of overcoming heartache. Robert writes, Where the Crawdads Sing, Everyone I Know Who Has Seen It Loved It. Chris writes, Causeway had maybe the most under-the-radar best acting performance by Brian Tyree Henry and Jennifer Lawrence. And T. West's dual drop of X and The Amazing Pearl were a great accomplishment in one year. Not sure if any of you have any reactions to the movies that just got mentioned there.
3: I hated Pearl.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, Dave!
3: I thought it was deeply annoying (laughs) that music and like the tone of it was so um, broad and big and (laughs) aggressively campy in a way that just felt like I wanted to be anywhere else. That said, I loved X because it was a horror movie (laughs) and it knew that it was just a horror movie. And Pearl tried to be this kind of um, character study of a character. I kind of found loathsome. And in irritating, I did not have any empathy for her situation. Sure, she had a terrible childhood and a bad family and stuff, but the performance from um, Mia Goth was so outrageous, so over the top, (laughs) and so uh, divorced uh, from the human race that it just felt like uh, pantomime to me. And I wanted to say that like it's a bad thing. (laughs) Yes, I I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm aware.
2: I'm Uh, loving these differences of opinion on these films. It really helps me watch them when I do, you know, with a a nuanced lens. Dave, you are the only one I did not ask about upcoming movies you're excited for. We have a minute left. Just tell me really quick. yeah, Real quick.
3: I'm really excited about Dune Part 2 and Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny. I was not a big fan of Top Gun Maverick. I know people have talked about it on the, the Twitter feed. Not for me. I'm tired of reboots, sequels, remakes, this kind of thing. But I am a sucker when nostalgia affects me uh, and and when I'm nostalgic for things from my childhood that I liked. And I loved Indiana Jones, so I'm very excited to see this series kind of wrap up.
2: Indiana Jones. You're right. It did feel like there were a lot of uh, sequels, reboots, and so on in 2022. Well, Dave Schilling, as always, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Dave Schilling, contributing writer for LA Times Image. Jackson Kim Murphy, so glad to have you on today. Thanks so much.
4: Thanks a bunch for having
2: me. Jackson Kim Murphy, associate news editor at Variety. Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast, Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. Thanks for coming back, Kristen. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for sharing your picks. We're going to try to compile those for you and make them available. But in the meantime, we are going to go out with a song from a movie Dave loved Top Gun. Just kidding. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. This is the song from Top Gun. Caroline Smith produced today's segment on the films of 2022. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum.